The Forum at 8 with Polani Guala. Eight and a half minutes after eight. Welcome to the Forum at 8 here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. This morning we're talking about uh, black women and the transformation of the legal profession. There was a study that revealed that African women make up less than 1% of the senior counsel in the legal profession here in South Africa. Of the 473 senior counsel from whose ranks candidate judges are selected, only nine were black women. Of the nine women, only four were African women on the forum then we're asking this morning but why is this where are the bottlenecks and what is being done in order to correct the situation um i've been looking at uh, some of the documents that came through it appears that um the democratic governance and rights unit at the university of cape town sometime last year laid a formal complaint with the office of the commission of gender equality on behalf of uct and Songa gender justice on this matter they were calling on the commission to investigate the lack of gender transformation in the judiciary and i'm hoping uh, to hear from the commission uh, for gender equality in this regard in fact we've given them a call and and uh, they are going to come back to us and give us somebody to talk about this matter and how far the investigation has gone um, following that complaint by the Democratic Governance and Rights Unit Commission for Gender Equality. Hopefully we'll get a call from them uh, in, in a couple of minutes' time. But let me introduce you to my guests on the program at this time. Let me start with Advocate Tabani Masugu. He's um, with Advocates for Transformation. A very good morning to you, Advocate Masugu. Yes, good morning, Bolan, and good morning to listeners. Much appreciated. I really thank you for your time. Also, I'm joined by Advocate Paul Hoffman. He's the Director of the Institute for Accountability in Southern Africa. Advocate Hoffman, nice talking to you again. Good morning, Golani, and good morning to your listeners. Good morning, uh, Tabani, and uh, congratulations on getting yourself mentioned on the leader page of of uh, Business Day this morning, uh, Golani. It must be a... A great feather in your cap that you're... Well, it must uh, be. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm on, I'm on it. Yeah. It's there, I promise you. <laughs> I'm going to look at it. Don't worry about it, uh, Advocate Hoffman. Thank you, indeed. Thank you very much. Um, Attorney Poti Matolo Zepu on the line. Attorney Zepu, I beg your pardon. Thank you for your time this morning. Uh, thank you, Colony, and good morning to your listeners. Yeah, let me introduce you properly. You're the Vice Chairperson of the Black Lawyers Association, also the Chairperson of the Empowerment Committee of the Black Lawyers Association. I really thank you for your time, uh, Ms. Lepu. Yes, thank you. Thanks indeed. Um, let me just make reference to uh, what came through on the paper that was prepared by the University of Cape Town. They lashed the Judicial Service Commission for slow pace of gender transformation in the judiciary. But then what also happened afterwards was that the JSC seemed to have passed the, the, the criticism, if you will, uh, to the uh, government, and they're saying that it's government that's responsible for that. Ms. Lepu, your thoughts on this. Who should take the blame for the statistics that are started that, uh, with? I, I think government and, and, and business must take the blame, and uh, they are not doing anything ready to empower women. The government has just now uh, uh, made a statement of intent to try and empower black attorneys and black women, and for me, it's just a, a statement of intent. Nothing has ever come to, to fruition. Hmm. Right. Uh, Advocate Masugu, your thoughts on who should take the blame? Um, look, I, I, I think, I think they, they, the, the blame should lie squarely on the shoulders of those that are consumers of legal services. Government is one of the big uh, consumers of legal services. The private sector is a consumer of legal services. So to the extent that they are in fact the feeders of um, the, 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 the feeders to, to, to the creation of, a, of, a, of, 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 legal, of the 
responsible for for, cre- for the creation of a robust uh, 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 environment of practice for, for, for legal practitioners, yeah. And, and Advocate Hoffman, your thoughts on these matters, uh, where, where are the bottlenecks? Yes, well, Tualani, uh, um, I think that the, 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 the fact that only 70 women are judges today with 171 men is nothing short of a disgrace. And the blame lies everywhere. It, it lies with the JSC because it has not uh, put forward or recommended women who are fit and proper and appropriately qualified for appointment. It has, it has not got moving on this business of uh, judicial education. All of that, 19 years into democracy, we, we, we have an act, but very little go forward in relation to empowering uh, women and previously disadvantaged people to acquire the skill set that is needed for a judge. And being a judge is not an easy job. It's, it's, it's a, a lonely and difficult task. Hmm. So one has to be very careful as the Judicial Service Commission to make sure that appropriately qualified, fit and proper persons are appointed. And the truth is that far fewer women put their names forward for appointment to the bench than do men. As a consequence of that, we have uh, far too few women in the Constitutional Court, far too few women in the Supreme Court of Appeal, and generally. All right, so too few women put their names forward. But is, is it out of fear? Uh, what is it, what is it, why is that so, Advocate Hoffman? Well, I know a, a, a lot of uh, appropriately qualified and fit and proper women candidates prefer not to do so because of what goes on in the JSC process. The JSC process has been overtaken by an ANC caucus within the JSC that is seeking to impose a value system on the judiciary that is not consonant with the value system of the Constitution. Right. Let me introduce Advocate Tandu Norman uh, with the South African Women's Lawyers Association. Advocate Norman, thank you for your time as well. Good morning, Polanyis. Thank you. Um, let me pick up on some of the things that uh, Advocate Hoffman is talking about. Uh, that a few women are putting themselves out there for, for nomination to the bench. Why is that so? Uh, look, there's all sorts of considerations. Uh, it's not, I've heard him saying that it's out of fear of what is happening um, at the JSC. Mm. That, that is not correct. This is what happens, Dolan, as you have noticed, there is no progression uh, within the ranks of the advocacy when it comes to women um, empowerment and all that. You'll find that you will find there's only, for instance, about eight silks, women silks, um, uh, women of color, that are silks in, in, in the country as a whole. Mm. And now, if you take away all of those women for them to become judges, then you're leaving a vacuum within the profession itself because they will, the juniors that are within the profession will have no one to look up to um, within the ranks of the advocacy or at the sidebar. So those are the considerations. So it's really not correct to say that the fear is about what happens at the JSC. The, the fear is that there is no proper empowerment within the ranks of advocacy. And I'm seen as an advocate, and I know what happens there. Just so the focus really shouldn't mm-hmm. be 
on the bench. The focus should be on the profession itself as to what the plan has the profession um, got to make sure that there is progression within the ranks of, of, of advocacy in social regime and consent. You know, that's very interesting because the, the article in the newspaper over the weekend suggested that uh, the progression, particularly around advocacy, is, is very much linked to some boys' clubs and certain people decide who can progress and who, who can't. Advocate Norman, is that true? And if so, t- take us through the process of progression. No, you know, as you enter the, 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 the profession, you, you, you become a baby junior, that's what you call. Yeah. That is, you are under five years as an advocate. And then once you reach your five years, then you become a senior junior, and that's from five years right up to ten years, or even twelve years. Then the, the, the trend is that people are comfortable taking silk when they reach 15 years within the profession. Then you attain the status of silk. That, that, how that happens, there is a selection committee you don't do it on your own. You get approached by the seniors who have watched you over the years, you know, the quality of the work that you do, the way you conduct yourself, your ethicals, your, your ethics, and, and, and the way you, you, you conduct yourself as an advocate within the profession. And, of course, what, what, what determines that mostly is the quality of the matters that you handle, you know, as, as an advocate. And then that committee will, will, will then decide as to whether they should really place or put your name forward for you to be considered for a silk appointment. Hmm. And then the chairman of the bar will take that forward, take it to the judge president of the division, because you appear before all those judges, and then they must decide, and they will discuss it, and he will feel that, look, we do not feel that the is ready for silk, or the judge president will say, well, I am comfortable. Hmm. And then the judge president will transmit your name then to the, the, to the minister of justice, who in turn will do his own investigations about you, and then, then thereafter it will go up to the, uh, the president, and then the president will, will, will um, confer the, 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 the silk status on you. So the, really, it's not a question of, it's not, it's not a simple process. So what happens is you need to make sure that at junior level, people get good work so that they can attain the silk status, even if they don't attain the silk status, but as long as they can have good quality practices where they're not doing just your normal run-of-the-mill matters where they simply go and postpone a matter. You want them to appear in the Constitutional Court, in the Supreme Court of Appeal, to do all these matters whilst they're still junior so that you can be able to recommend them. So that is what is lacking at the moment. But that's where I, a lot I of women are frustrated. It's, it's, it's during that process. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm saying it's during that process where a lot of black women in particular are frustrated. Precisely. And we've got statistics. They come in in January. They will come in in January. By June, they are gone. Because the, the institutions that are tasked by government, you see, government processes are very clear on these issues. I'm not going to be criticizing government, not because... Um, uh, you know, I love government or anything of the sort. But, but the p- point of the matter is that government has got clear policies on transformation and empowerment of women. It's the people within the state attorney's offices who are not adhering uh, to what they are supposed to be doing because they have no plans. You can phone any state attorney and say, what is your plan about juniors? What do, are you doing about juniors? And they leave the profession quite early and they walk away. Now, you lose that skill, you lose that intellect, you'll never get it back again because mm-hmm. those who are supposed now to come to the bar, they hear from them that, look, this one didn't even last six months. And they say, no, 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 we're not going to put our names forward. Sure. Now, what happens then, you find that you'll have a silk. Now, follow, following that silk, we have a junior who's about seven years at the bar. So that gets 
that you have there, you can never fill it in within five or six years. So I think that is what is really frustrating the profession. All right. Okay. Mr. Yeah, I wanted to bring you in because because on on I uh, think on Monday I spoke to uh, Advocate Dumisen Sabeza, and I'm not sure what the difference would be between the criticism that we're hearing now from Advocate Norman of the state attorney and government because Advocate Sabeza broadly said the problem is with government. Government is not allocating enough work to black attorneys so that they get the experience that Advocate Norman uh, is talking about. Uh, can I come in, yes, in here? Yes, it's a pity that we are only talking about uh, black women in the judiciary. I mean, our, we have got two spheres of, of legal practitioners. We've got attorneys, mm-hmm. we've got advocates. Advocates have to be briefed by attorneys. And if you don't have a brief from an attorney, how do you expect advocates to be fit and proper? I mean, most advocates who are appearing in court who appear in constitutional courts, are white males. And I can't brief. I'm an attorney. I'm practicing. Mm-hmm. I, I employ about 30 people. There's no tangible work that I have that I can actually brief advocate women. And where do... I mean, I've got statistics of attorneys. Female attorneys are far more... Many, I mean, the percentage of female attorneys. I mean, candidate attorneys. As at March 2013, that's 55 Fifty-five percent of female candidates, hmm. uh, law graduates, fifty-five percent, and now attorneys, female practicing attorneys, are fifty-six percent. So you want to tell me that we are so hopeless that government and business are not even believing in us to give us that work? And for me, an independent judiciary is not only built at the time of nominating individuals mm-hmm. to the position of judges; it has to start with a well-equipped, seasoned lawyer who has sufficient exposure yeah. in, in several fields of the law. And, and, and for that, so I have to brief Advocate Norman to be able to represent And, and you're not getting enough work. We are not even getting anything. Yeah. Uh, let me bring in my other guest, uh, Advocate Masugo. I just also would like to clarify the issues um, that were raised by Advocate Norman a little earlier on about the process uh, of becoming a silk. Do you apply or you get approached? Um, you, you, you get approached in certain instances, but you generally must send your, send your application in. Uh, once, 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 uh, um, for example, Advocate Norman being a silk may, may look at me and say, Chabana, I think now you've, you've, you've grown in your practice. You are eligible to, uh, to apply for silk. I'm encouraging you to apply. And through that collegial encouragement, I then would, uh, m- uh, put my name forward. And then, of course, the process is, uh, I won't repeat it, uh, Advocate Norman has, has, has done, has, has explained very succinctly what, what goes on. Sure, because and the reason why I'm asking... With, with, with one thing that yeah. Advocate Norman said, uh, it's important to look inward. Uh, we have, we, we, my initial response when you asked where the blame lay uh, was that it, it, it was with government and the, public, the private sector, the consumers of legal services. Mm. But I also want to suggest that the, the, the other reason is the way in which our institutions of practice are constructed. We are practiced from Cape Town. If you count in terms of numbers, and I, 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 and I won't cast any aspersion to any of my colleagues, I've practiced in this division very well, and I've enjoyed, I'm enjoying practicing here. But one of the things that is very clear to me is that every year, there is a low number of black advocates that come into the bar. Uh, we can debate that issue with people at the bar. We have, 
we have debated that issue before, and I think we'll continue to debate it. But once the few people that come into the bar, and they become members of the bar, and they start practicing from the bar, the challenge is how to maintain chambers. And you maintain chambers only if you are able to generate the income that will pay for the chambers. But you generate income by getting work. And that's where the problem lies. Hmm. But in the environment of the bar, there is a, a, the, the, the way in which sometimes we work is that you get a silk to, to involve you in a matter that you, in a matter that they are, they are involved, they, are, they, are involved they, they get involved. In, in sure. Cape Town, for example, sometimes they do what they call a, a fee sharing arrangement. A silk gives up a portion of their fee in order to involve a junior so that they generate the, ex- the experience. Okay. All right. I, I'm going to go back a little later on to, to advocate uh, Norman. Just, of course, to clarify this process about whether or not is it true that maybe women themselves sometimes don't apply, don't take the initiative to go, and they wait to be encouraged to apply in this regard. But let me, let me go to um, Advocate Hoffman. Um, it appears that there are a lot of problems surrounding this process of progression into, into silks. How can it be sorted out? And do you agree uh, that that problem uh, is actually central to the fact that we, we're not getting enough uh, senior black advocates from whom then judges can be nominated? Yes, I, I agree uh, with a lot of what has been said in relation to the obstacles in the way of the progression of women through the ranks of the legal profession. And I certainly agree that um, the only way to get appropriate experience is to be in the trenches and to be involved actively uh, representing clients in in, in, uh, litigation. The problem is that litigants like to win their cases and they're a little bit reticent, shy, backward in coming forward about briefing unknown women. And the way to address that is to ask the biggest litigant in South Africa, which is the South African government, to take a chance with junior women advocates, give them the exposure, because the government isn't litigating against the government. The government is litigating against (coughs) private corporations and private individuals. And the way that women, baby juniors, as uh, Ms. Norman calls it, have the opportunity to show their mettle, to gather their experience, is to be brought in as a junior or alone in matters in which the state is a litigant, the government department or a state-owned enterprise for that matter, and to, to gain exposure in that way. Okay. All right, let me do this. Uh, uh, I've got uh, Ms. Togompumloana, who is the Deputy Chair of the Gender Commission. I mentioned a bit earlier on that there was a complaint launched with the, the Commission um, uh, at the beginning of, uh, was it late last year, actually, by the Democratic Governance and Rights Unit at the University of Cape Town. They were complaining about the, the way this matter is being dealt with, uh, the investigation of the lack of gender transformation in the judiciary. Let me get some responses about what has happened. And uh, Ms. Pumloana, thank you for your time. What happened? Thank you. Good morning, Kolani, and good morning to your listeners. Just yeah. to say, uh, Kolani, the process is on. Uh, letters have been written to all the relevant uh, people to respond to us. And at an appropriate time, the commission will report in terms of the findings. But I think the issue here we're dealing with is general transformation. We believe that uh, we've got to change the way and the colonial system that we inherited in the past of all these bureaucracies that have, have that people have to go through in order for them right. 
to be accepted in the system. All right. Uh, so Advocate Hoffman, you mentioned to me that you won't be... This is an indictment on South Africa, actually. The 20 years down the line, we still talk of one digit, uh, female advocates, mm. a pool from which then uh, people can be judges. I'm sure there's another way of doing it. Can I, can I interject here? Yeah, please go ahead. You seem to be thinking only advocates can be the pool to be appointed as judges. Mm. Attorneys are, have to be considered also. Mm. Attorneys, there are a lot of attorneys who are admit, uh, uh, appointed as judges, so I yeah. think we have to broaden it Wait, and not just it. Not you, you're, you're very correct about that. Exactly. It, but you see, precisely for that reason, why are we not getting them then? Yeah, why? and that's the question we're asking this morning, Ms. Zepu. And, and part of the reason why, by the way, uh, in a sense I'm narrowing it down to, to the advocates, was as a result of the article over the weekend that suggested that we are sitting at this time. Of the nine women, uh, in fact, let me, I'm going to say that stats again, statistic again, because it was talking about 473 senior counsel from whose ranks candidate judges are selected. Nine were black women, that's according to the Sunday Times. Of the nine women, only four were African. I mean... I then spoke again to, to uh, Advocate Dimitri Zabeza, who clearly and openly, li- like everyone else, said this is a shame for this country. And this is why then we are looking at this particular number and saying, but how can it be that since 1994 we still have these kind of numbers? It is a shame, Colani, because obviously there's no will from the, both the, legal, uh, the government and, and the private sector. As I said, before an advocate can appear, he has to be briefed by an attorney. Hmm. If an attorney does not have good work, there's no way I can brief an advocate. Sure. So the issue is you're not getting good work, and Advocate Hoffman is saying that no one wants to take a risk on, on people who, who perhaps are I- inexperienced. What do you say to that, Ms. Lepo? Uh, my, my problem with I what Advocate Hoffman is saying, he was a junior. With, here with okay, Ms. Is that what is generally? Until we deal with patriarchy, the basic belief that women cannot do it, we'll continue to have this problem. So government has got to lead because uh, it's a matter of power here as well. People want to retain power and be in power, (laughs) and uh, you can't always take power uh, nicely. There have got to be very, very stringent ways in which those who make rules a uh, first transformation on people if they don't want to transform okay. themselves. All right, Colon, the I think Advocate Hoffman, for him, he just woke up in the morning and became a fit and proper and very experienced. Somebody must have empowered him. So we need Absolutely. that empowerment. All right. What I'll do is I'll take my updates now. Come back, open the lines. 0891 I'll read SMSs as well at 34701, 34701, and emails at your news update now with Babakshini Chetty. The Forum at 8 with Kolani Gwala. We're discussing black women and transformation of the legal profession. What needs to be done? Shocking stats have been given out there. Everyone has responded. Everyone says that it is completely unacceptable. But then where are the bottlenecks and what needs to be done immediately in order to turn the situation around? My guest on the program this morning, Advocate Tabani Masugu, is with the Advocates for Transformation. I've also uh, on the line got Attorney Poti Matolo Zepu, who is the Vice Chairperson of the Black Lawyers Association, also the Chairperson of the Empowerment Committee on the Black Lawyers Association. She's just also been appointed Co-Chair of the Law Society of South Africa. Um, 
I had a little earlier on uh, Advocate Paul Hoffman. He's, he's had to go now. He's attending to uh, prior uh, engagements. Advocate Tandy Norman also on the line for me. She's with the South African Women Lawyers Association. I'm also joined by Ms. Togon Pumluan, Deputy Chairperson of the Gender Commission. Time for me to hear from you then. 0891 But before I do so, uh, I would like to just again go back to Advocate Norman. Quickly, in terms of the processes, there were questions that were raised about uh, women themselves having to go and apply where necessary. Please just clarify, clarify that area for me. Uh, applying to 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 for to be, to be a silk, for, yeah, to be, to be a silk. For, for silk. Mm. Oh, no, you know, um, I don't know. Look, if as I, as I um, explained to you earlier, so it's a process. You will find that if, for instance, um, the, the, the 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 judge president maybe does not feel, or the judges in your division are not in agreement uh, with with the society in so far as as your qualities as an advocate are. You might find that those are some of the reasons why a person then will not um, be elevated to, to silk. Mm. So there, there's all sorts of things that, that are considered. I, I wouldn't know. I, it would be difficult for me to comment as to why then they, they, they didn't get silk in a, in a particular case. I think it depends on each case. But uh, coming to what the law society, um, the lady from the law society has indicated yeah, about um, attending, it is correct. The considerations, I mean, the focus shouldn't be on advocates only. Attorneys are also, they become judges as well. But what we need to do is to make sure those attorneys mostly are office-bound uh, because, as, you, as you've heard here, correctly so, they, they instruct ad- advocates. But then now they have a right of appearance in the high court. You find very few attorneys appearing in the high court. And this is where possibly some of the challenge is because you find that those um, that sometimes apply to become judges, you find that they haven't had enough exposure insofar as the rules of the High Court and maybe they even in terms of the acting stints that they've received. But I'm not suggesting it. The same, same considerations apply even with, uh, to the advocates because you need also to have had sufficient acting stints where the judge president, after you've acted, is of the view that, look, I believe that uh, this person now is ready to, to become a judge, and then the judge president will then um, say, look, you can, you can approach you and say you can put your name forward. But what we've witnessed, uh, certainly so, is that we see people being the ones who are eager to become judges. Mm-hmm. You know, a person just wakes up and, or decides that, look, I want to be a judge. And now, without really paying attention to all these other considerations, because I don't dream even even in, i can't imagine myself waking up tomorrow and saying to the judge president i now want to be a judge he is the one who must indicate because he would have looked at my performance throughout and it is a, it, it, it's an, it's a consideration that you cannot run away from hmm. because you need to command uh, respect from your colleagues and they need to to look at you and say look this person um, will make a good judge you know and all of those things you can't then decide on your own that, look, tomorrow or next week or next year, I want to become a judge. So the judge president, when you're acting, they, people always forget this. When you're acting, you are evaluated throughout. Your reviews that you do, your judgments that you do, the discussions that you have on appeal with the judges, your, your appeal judgments that you write, all of that, is, is, is you are scrutinized throughout your acting uh, things. And so it, it's a process. <clears throat> now, coming back 
Yeah, coming back then to, to the issue of people uh, attending to must also become judges. So the same same routine or same process applies to them. So I think what we need to do really, instead of being critical, uh, I look at the, the, what has happened in the Eastern Cape, for instance, hmm. the past two sessions where women have applied, uh, but they have not been considered twice. That That is a worrying factor. So I think what we need hmm. to do, and I've already discussed this, uh, with uh, the former uh, uh, president of Saula, and we felt that look, we need to have a committee where our applicants to female, we, it's going to focus on female on females only. Mm-hmm. They will deal these. Their applications will be looked at by this committee first, and then we look at it. We discuss with the judge president because as candidates, they are not able to do that. You can't go to your, your judge president and say, "Oh, now these people have nominated me. What do you think?" You know yeah. that sort of thing. People mm-hmm. feel that you don't want to impose. But then this committee will be able to do so, so that if there are any shortcomings, then we can be able to rectify that. If the judge president feels that this person must get more exposure, we can speak generally to, the, to all the judge presidents in the mm. other divisions and say, look, can you take this person to act in your division so that one can have um, exposure to, 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 let's say, commercial law and all of that. So I think that's what we need to do because okay. it's, it's not what we have been doing. You know, I think we must start doing that. Okay, fantastic. Solutions are very welcome. And if people have other ideas about how we sort the situation out, uh, I'd be more than happy to hear from them. Let me take some calls, though. Let me start in Cape Town. Ian, good morning. Hi, good morning, Salani. Hi, welcome. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Go ahead, please. Ian? Thanks, Salani. Um, just two points. The one is that, you know, we live in a capitalistic society with supply and demand, very much a real thing. So the, the Zoomers, the Sheikhs, the Celebes, the Imperial Crown Tradings, the, you name it, any large high-profile case, look three feet to the left or right of the accused or the, offend, the uh, defendant, mm-hmm. and you'll find a white, English-speaking, normally Afrikaans male. So that's my first point. Supply and demand. You pay for the best legal services you can afford. And the second one is the idea that uh, Advocate Hoffman has uh, been, been uh, empowered in any way simply uh, is just ludicrous. It's all about hard work. Thank you. All right. So you say that uh, he wasn't empowered. Ian in Cape Town. I'll get my guests to respond to that. They, I'm sure, have um, a lot to say in relation to what you've just said. Uh, Confidence is in Bedford View. Hello, Confidence. Nelisa in Pretoria. Good morning. Are we losing the lines? Hello. All right, we're losing these lines here. Let me read one or two emails. Um, there's one from Vivian. South Africa is a signatory to various UN and international conventions to eliminate all forms of discrimination against women. The ANC-led government has in principle committed to promoting gender equity in all spheres of government. Uh, we agree that uh, skills are needed, but we need the willpower and action from the powers that be. Women also have to rally together and continue to push for their rights. Power is not given. We have to unite and keep pushing. The struggle for gender equality is not over. Those who are already empowered must unite and assist others. That um, an SMS from Vivian. Uh, there's also Opa Tasanyana. I think all of us, including the government, we are tasting our medication here as a result of negotiated political settlement. Instead, we change things due to our majority advantage. We are crying and begging for transformation. Shame on us. That's Opa Tasanyana on email. 
SMSs. Um, SCs have long ceased to be a pool for judges. Most bars are now top-heavy because SCs are not being appointed as judges, says somebody on SMS. Also, somebody says, uh, becoming an SC is not something you get on a plate. Most SCs have practiced for over 20 years. Uh, that is an SMS coming through uh, a short while ago. Let me just get some quick responses here. Uh, maybe, uh, just in, in order to hear what you have to say in, re- in relation to this matter, we, we're just having some problems with the line. Ms. Lepo, I hope you are there. Responding to Ian well, in Cape Town. It's a pity that some, some, some of your listeners, they actually display the, 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 the male dominance and male and lack of understanding of, of what the whole problem is. Advocate Hoffman did not wake up and became a hard worker. He became a student, a candidate or a pupil, and he was briefed by somebody. This is what we are saying. And if we don't get to that level where most of our tennis, most of our uh, advocates are not briefed, then how do you expect them to be hard workers like Hoffman? You look at this SMS again. Somebody says there has always been one rule of practice at the bar. It's the survival of the fittest. It shouldn't be different because you're black. What do you say to that, Ms. Lebo? Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's what they're saying. But from experience, we know that. Advocate Morocco has been an, 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 an attorney, an advocate, and magistrate. She, she shouldn't be crying foul of not getting briefs, even at this stage. Is she crying foul? Yeah, yes, she, she, she's complaining about lack of work mm-hmm. and lack of empowerment of, of black advocates. Oh, people have been out there, yeah, after, after uh, so many years. Konani, may yeah. I come in here as well? Yes, advocate. This is Togo. Yes, I wanted to just oh. say that the first thing we should accept, all of us, is that actually transformation is a constitutional obligation. Mm-hmm. And uh, if people do not transform, they are actually, uh, it's an indictment on them in their understanding of how to leave the constitution. And transformation is about giving and, and taking. Those who have been privileged before should have the courage to step back and serve in other categories deliberately and give women a chance to also participate and serve the country. And, to, and by so doing, actually, we'll be unleashing so much uh, potential good that is there out there to transform our society and bringing a certain ethos into the legal profession. The GPV issues are gender-based violence issues, are issues that need a lot of understanding and then a lot and a lot of people who know where it comes from. Hmm. We cannot have cases like this all being heard by males in the courts of law. We really would like to see transformation. Higher education institutions should ensure that women pass and they, they enroll and make the environment conducive. Because if the, if the environment is not conducive, it's just like a machine. You come in, it's the survival of the fittest, like other people are saying, then we're not going to get to where we want to go. Right. Let's hear from Lakin. Well, well, oh, uh, advocate, yes, Masugu? Yes, uh, the, the, the gentleman that, uh, that, um, said supply, that uh, raised the supply and demand principle, uh, raises a very interesting uh, issue because one of the things that is quite clear is that his view of supply and demand produces a a a, a system in the profession that is, is that is that is gender insensitive and that is gender biased that is race racially insensitive and racially biased. So I mean, if this supply and demand 
results in a constant uh, um, uh, marginalization of black practitioners, whether black or whether whether female or male. Then that supply and there's something wrong with that system of supply and demand, and that's why it's necessary to 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 then interfere with that system of supply and demand and deliberately engage with with the with the suppliers of legal services so they can they can uh, 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 go beyond what they are what 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 is usual what is usual the, the the supply and demand principle essentially says that you must brief the people or you must work with the people that you know people that you went to school with yeah. people that you you could play golf with people that you 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 mm-hmm. borrow money with or whatever but there is a, a relationship in terms of which you receive work. Now, if our profession is based on relationships, then it is a very vulnerable, very vulnerable profession. We should start realizing that the legitimacy of the entire system of justice in this country depends on how we transform and that we transform the, 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 the character of legal practice. The very institutions of practice themselves must be transformed so that they are sensitive to the expertise, the knowledge, the experiences of marginalized groups like women and, 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 and black people. Mm. And, and it's, it's, it's the supply and demand principle is used to the detriment of a national project like transformation, then we are at risk because, as I say, I think the legitimacy even of the judiciary itself depends mm. on women being at the bench, yes. black women at being at the bench, black men being at the bench. That is something you cannot avoid if you want to have legitimacy. I know you're going, people are going to raise the issue of expertise and experience, but you must understand the people that are now called experienced and experts are themselves products of some kind of affirmation. They were affirmed by the privileges that they received during their time of practicing. And all that we're saying is that it is necessary that transformation must take place. It is necessary for every institution to consciously say to itself, how do we contribute towards building a pool of black people that we can rely on in order to ensure that when we meet judges, we don't have to be, to be, to be, to be having an unnecessary debate about experience and expertise. Hmm. Okay. And, and it's, it's, a very, it's a very serious uh, 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 project, national project, this it, project of transformation. Sure. It must be taken very, very seriously by consumers of legal, legal services. All right. They must Does consciously it, say to themselves, mm-hmm. It is our duty to ensure that we build a pool of people who can be trusted with our legal system because the rule of law is not going to be defended by the, the supply and demand principle uh, upon position. Mm. It's going to be defended by, it is accepted by every, every member of this society that the rule of law is a principle that should govern how we live. Yeah. Then the interpreters of that rule of law should, be, should, should spread beyond just a, a minority privileged group, uh, in this case, which is uh, racial is good and, and gender, gender bias. All right. I'm, and I'm going to come back and ask my other guests to, to respond to this. But I saw a very interesting uh, uh, quote attributed to the newly appointed Concord Judge Mbuiseli Mazanga. He told the City Press over the weekend that um, the bench may be on the receiving end of injustice unless there's transformation. In fact, he was quoted as saying, transformation of the judiciary is imperative. Try as one may to be open-minded. There is that self that one brings to the bench and 
which one cannot extricate oneself from. One is what one he or she is, not only because of the innate makeup, but also as a result of external influences like race, background, education, culture, etc. If the bench is not demographically representative, the groups that are not represented in it will forever not only be disadvantaged, but may well be at the receiving end of injustice. I thought that was quite important because then it reflects what, what is likely to happen unless uh, there is this uh, demographic transformation that is required immediately. Uh, perhaps you may want to comment on that, Advocate Norman? Advocate Norman? Beautiful uh, remark from uh, uh, Justice Marlanga now. And mm. um, look, because, you know, he, he is able to say that, Polani, because, first of all, he lived transformation when he was practicing advocate. He's still a, he's a justice now, but he's still in, 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 the, in the practice, in the, the profession. But he lived it in the sense that he made sure that he empowered women. Wherever you see him, whether it's in the um, Concord, maybe in the SCA, you will find, you will find him with a junior, either a female junior or a male junior. So these are the people, for me, who must be able to comment on these things because they actually practice them. Okay. Now, it's true, if you do not have enough females on the bench, the perception, because it's all about perception, the people out there, they look at it, they look at the concord, they say, wow, you don't have many females there. I wonder if I will get justice if I do appear or if my matter goes to that court. So that is an issue. It's, a, it's an important issue. So I see no reason why you cannot have... In every bench, 50-50, 50 females, 50 males, if possible. Because I'm saying possible, but depending on the number of the females that you will have, will be elevated to that to, to that to that position. So it is, it is it's a true statement, and it was well made by a person who understands fully what transformation is all about. Okay. Let me let me go to Lucky here in Johannesburg. Lucky, good morning. Yes, Colin, how are you? I'm good. Welcome. Okay, thanks to your guest. I think one of the panelists today explained it properly, the manner in which one has panelists to take silk, of which was explained properly. But also I want to correct that you necessarily doesn't have to, to, to be a silk in order to become a judge as an yeah. advocate. You can sure. still be a judge even if you're not silk. I also wanted to clarify that issue. Polani, the issue of, of the bar, I think it is the blame should be blamed or or uh, it should be taken there the door of the bar councils. Who, at the end of the day, you go for a year, you self-privilege for a year, the next thing after that you are unknown by attorneys and you are being given chambers that you have to. Tavani Masi just explained that you are going to have to pay chambers. You stay for three, four months and then without paying your chambers, and, and, and then you have to pay your, your chambers. And if you can't pay, then you have to go. Now, that's a problem. Now, how am I going to get work as a counsel if I cannot get briefs? And how am I going to get briefs if attorneys don't know me? That's a problem. And as an advocate, you rely on attorneys to give you work. In the absence of attorneys to give you work, you want to survive. That's a problem. And this, 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 this question of the committee of the bar council that, that recommends you to take, it's also unfair. There's a case law that officially the bar council, uh, the, the case that the bar council has won at the Supreme Court of Appeal of that woman was applied for many years. And she was never considered for sale. Why? And, 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 and the question is, if I have to be honored to take self, why must I have to apply? That's a question that I'm asking. Why do I have to apply to be honored? That's a question. Now, if we can maybe dissolve the kind of a system of taking self, 
maybe you can talk better about that. Because but, the committee is of individuals who might hate you at a time when, when you want to apply, they will say, no, you can't take soup now. Just a quick one, Lucky, before I let you go. Uh, over the weekend, yeah. when the story yeah. was, was in the newspapers, there was a question raised uh, in relation to the legal practice bill and how it's likely to, to deal with some of these matters. Do you understand how it's likely to, to change the situation at all, the, the legal practice bill? Look, Kodani, there are many school of thoughts on that issue. Others believe that attorneys should remain attorneys, so others believe that advocates should be given, you know, an opportunity to take brief directly. There's many school of thought. And they are, those, remember, the advocates are at the side bar who are not members, necessarily members of the bar. And you don't talk about them and you didn't invite them in the studio. Now, this is a complicated profession, but it's only the one of advocates. Remember, the Bar Council is not a statutory board, they're supposed to law society. Now, we have many advocates who are working at home, some are at the South Bar, some are at the Bar Council, some are working there and there. So now, this is a complicated issue. Many people have their own, and those people, many advocates who have left the Bar, is because of other rules that prohibit them to work effectively. But Tulani, mm-hmm. the Bar Council, I strongly believe, and even our Black Senior Council, who are getting a lot of work, some of them, they don't care about the junior, they don't Encourage them, they don't give work because they're comfortable. Thank okay. You. Lucky in Johannesburg. Thank you. Alec, you're my last caller. Good morning. Morning, Kalani. Hi, welcome. I, I think, I, think um, I have a fairly extensive litigation experience um, and I'm currently engaged against a senior counsel that replaced a junior counsel in the Labour Court matter, which you might hear about in due course. Uh, that said, I think I have some exposure, well, not just in this case, but in previous cases as well, and I've been representing myself in the High Courts. Labor and I court and have mixed had mixed success, but have encountered women, uh, black legal practitioners, a lot. But I think that what's coming through to me in this in this discussion, um, and, and it might be just a lens I represent myself is for lack of funds to be able to afford these uh, experts. Okay. That said, and, and and not based on some bad experiences with with practitioners, uh, which the law society doesn't remedy. But coming back to that, this supply and demand argument is not a question. About supply and demand, it's about the freedom of choice. And I think that any one of your practitioners, if they were really honest, would say, would would they uh, subject themselves to a doctor if they were facing a, a mortal condition um, who they had no confidence in? And I think that's the gist of the debate. But what seems to be coming through to me here is the economics. All right. um, we all know senior counsel in a lot of money. If they were in the profession for the love of the profession, they could progress to the bench. That, that statement, that fact has already been asserted and confirmed by all. So the point is, is that this must be about personal material gain okay. in that profession. And the problem facing the legal profession is uh, that that is being sparse here, is, is the problem of professions generally, and, and it's an issue in all, um, from accountants to whatever. And but the, I would agree that the process is arbitrary and qualitative. Okay, Alec, yeah. right, I've got to get the responses. I'm out of time. Motive is economic. All right, Alec and Johannesburg, thank you very much. Let me wrap up. Let me start with Advocate Tabani Masugu. Advocate Masugu, you're perhaps responding to what Alec is saying, but also wrap up for me. I think I've lost that uh, line. Um, uh, Ms. Lepo, are you still there for me? Yes, I'm still Yeah, there. please, your, your closing comments. I'm me. just saying that unless the, the, the biggest uh, consumer of legal services is government, unless government takes drastic steps to end the current briefing patterns, that have been perpetrated for the past years to empower women, women attorneys, women advocates. We are regressing softly, and there's, there's, there's a calamity. We will never have female judges.
and the pool to draw from. Mm. Abraham Moman? Have I lost that line as well? Um, really, really apologize for uh, those lines. I've got to end it here, and thank you very much for listening to our program. Thanks to our guest, Advocate Tabane Masugu, who's with the Advocates for Transformation. Uh, also, Advocate Tandi Norman, who came through for us, as well as uh, Attorney Poti Matolo Zepu, Vice Chairperson of the Black Lawyers Association. A little earlier on, we had Advocate Hoffman, as well as uh, Togon Pumluan. I thank you all for coming through. Thank you for listening to the program. Thanks for your comments on SMS, as well as emails and and calling through as well. Thanks to the team, our producers. Thank you, Mabaso, Michelle Shanzale, Tracy Boomgard, and Ronald Peary. Senior producers, Lungile Mabaso and Zinat Abdul. Technical producer, Judy Mutupi. Foreign producers, Ronald Peary and Jake Mukoma. Chief producer, Butsirukoto. Executive producers, Busichane and Oprisichia. I'll be back for you at 6 to 9 tomorrow. You have a fine day ahead. It's 9 o'clock. Yes, uh, with our count-